Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another edition of the Mickey Blog Podcast. I am your host, Jared, here with you once again to cover all things Disney here on the Mickey Blog Podcast. New episodes every single Friday. Today, I am alongside, once again, David Mumpower. David Mumpower has joined our show several times in the past. Always, always a great time when he comes on. He's written over 25 million words now about Disney over the past decade and is the author of Disney Demystified Volume 1 and 2, as well as Behind the Ride. He's a chief content officer at Mickey Blog and also the co-host of Streaming the Void podcast. He's also someone who's been quoted as a subject matter expert in the film industry hundreds of times by sources like USA Today, CNN Money, and so forth. And of course, he's a Disney fan, believe it or not, because, you know, we can't have people on this podcast who aren't Disney fans fans that kind of goes against the whole point of a disney podcast but it's all right uh he is a disney fan whose favorite movie is a sword in the stone and favorite ride is spaceship earth which you know i gotta say that's you know the other stuff david that we always mention with you is is really interesting and all but you know i just really enjoy seeing people who uh who like a favorite film like sword in the stone as someone who's currently wearing an emperor's new groove shirt I have an appreciation for that era of Disney films and also, uh, you know, some of the forgotten gems of Disney films, shall we? Um, Yeah. Which will actually tie into what we're about to discuss, because at the end of the day, every Disney story is ultimately up for grabs for a theme park attraction at some point, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, you never know. I mean, I had a hope. Look, I'm excited for Tiana's Bayou Adventure, but I remember telling my friends at, back then when they were thinking about retheming uh, Splash Mountain before they had announced Tiana's, I was like, look, great time to theme that to Emperor's New Groove when they just throw you over a waterfall. Um, granted, did I think about, you know, the whole Frontierland aspect? Not really. But the idea is, is that you can revive almost any forgotten film or, you know, maybe less popular Disney film and, and bring it more to life with a Disney attraction. So Either way, uh, David is right in the sense where it is going to tie into what we're talking about today on the podcast. Uh, And what that is, is D23. We're diving heavily into the 2024 D23 event. Now, is it a little early to be talking about this? Maybe, maybe in the sense that it is February. I understand that. The event isn't until August. I get that. However, hear me out here. Uh, There's been some recent announcements with some of Disney's competitors that has driven a lot of conversation on when and what is Disney going to announce next. And we're going to dive into that. Um, Obviously, I don't think I need to spell this out too much more. Um, You're probably very aware if you're listening or watching that Epic Universe, the upcoming Orlando-based theme park, that will be uh, the third theme park um, added to Universal uh, Studios Florida and the Universal Orlando Resort um, is uh, is officially really ramping up marketing um, from the aspect that they did a huge announcement video, announced the lands, how it'll all be laid out, some new attractions, lots of stuff. Uh, and and frankly, I'm on the I'm on the camp of. These two can all have always and could always coexist, and I like them both, but that that's a separate conversation for a different episode. So regardless, we are going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the potential announcements that could be coming at D23 this year, some of the things that people can expect, uh, how it could 
potentially be quite different from the past few years um, from an announcement perspective. Uh, you know, mostly because uh, I think we we might be reaching the end of our um, you know uh, giant giant focus group uh, announcement uh, you know style that we've done the past few years at D23. But who knows? Maybe we do that again. We'll we'll get into all of it. But before we do, I want to mention that this episode and every episode of the Mickey Bob Podcast is brought to you by Mickey Travels. We'll talk more about Mickey Travels later on in the episode. But let's jump right in. David, you know, when you think about this major announcement, the timeliness of Epic Universe and this major announcement coming from Universal, um, the conversation obviously was heavily dominated by that in the theme park news, uh, you know, side of the world the past week. Uh, And the conversation when it came to Disney immediately sort of went into how does Disney respond? What does Disney respond with? Um, Do they come back firing right away? Do they, you know, do they maybe even adjust their plans for D23 and what they were going to announce? Do they feel more pressure? All the while you have a lot of people dominating the conversation of like, is Epic Universe, does that now make Universal a week-long destination in Orlando? Is that, you know, now suddenly something Disney should be concerned about. Um, so with all of these things in mind, um, how do you think that conversation and this sort of impending major, major theme park coming to Orlando for the first time, by the way, first major domestic theme park opening since the nineties, really, uh, you know, like what is, uh, what comes to mind when it comes to D23 specifically and, and how Disney goes about you know, the rest of this year um, going forward? Well, I think with Universal, what we're talking about is Universal actually becoming Disney for the first time. Because if you've seen any of the renderings, the artist illustrations of the uh, theme lands coming to Universal, they attended this, excuse me, they attempted this with uh, Islands of Adventure, where they wanted to create several theme lands that had a congruous kind of, they tied together well. Epic Universe is going to go a different step. Uh, They're going to take the path where everything connects via portal. I'm actually just jokingly calling them Stargates, where you kind of hop into a Stargate and then suddenly you're in Burke, the land of how to train your dragon, or you're in Super Nintendo World, or you're in Dark Universe, which is the Universal Classic Monsters. They're basically doing what Disney has always done in the most Disney way ever for a universal theme park. And they're doing that as one, let's be honest, a sign of respect. And, you know, I don't want to say homage, but they know it works. And so they are choosing something that they're aware everyone wants. And you said whether or not it'll be a week long thing. I still think that's ambitious. Um, In my discussions with Universal people, the goal was always to turn it from a two or three day visit into a four or five day visit. Just, you know, it's only a couple more days, but it doubles the time and it probably doubles the vacation budget. And that is a huge win for Comcast and NBC Universal if they manage that. And for Disney, that is a loss of sorts, because while we have said 
I have specifically said many times, Disney doesn't have a peer in this industry. It's not even close. I mean, right now, Cedar Fair is trying to merge with Six Flags because neither one of them has come out of the pandemic well. And if they don't merge, one of them might not make it. It's that bad for everyone that's not Universal or Disney. Disney can see its market share erode if Universal in Orlando does become more popular, though. And that's really what this is. It's about protecting turf. And so from Disney's perspective, in, let's say, 17 months, uh, we don't know an exact date yet, but in uh, a year and a half or so, Epic Universe is going to open. And when that happens, everyone's going to wonder, is Walt Disney World still the place to go? And I think that... It's unlikely unless something happens with the economy where that will change, but it is a concern. And Disney is very, very territorial about this stuff and understandably so. So with this D23 event, we do have a scenario where Universal has pressed Disney and Disney probably does need to come out firing just to show, hey, they're doing our thing but nobody does our thing like us, which is really the ballpark, uh, the ball game here. Ultimately, Imagineers are the best at what they do for a reason. And so when Disney does announce something, it will be better than the competition. But you really have to hand it to Universal because Epic Universe looks absolutely phenomenal and should succeed beyond any reasonable expectation I'm seeing right now. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, the the announcement video that they released was extremely exciting, um, you know, for theme park fans in general. I mean, I'm of the camp that I've always felt these two can coexist. And, and I was a huge fan that Bob Iger, for example, last year on the uh, earnings call congratulated Illuminations for their success with Super Mario Bros. Like, these are things that that can and should happen in these kinds of industries and i and i don't feel everything needs to be a battle you know um in a in a war because for example universal and disney have very successfully coexisted in the lands of halloween season you know uh and and they're both going after two different really different crowds um and they've coexisted with you know even the holidays and in different forms of uh of sort of entertainment um, with that being said, though, obviously, a brand new theme park of this scale with this many major properties and, and popular things coming this way, uh, not to even mention the Isle of Burke to me is very exciting because you also have um, just just reminding people there's a live action adaptation of How to Train Your Dragon coming um, and uh, it's directed by the same person who directed the animated films. Uh, it's the same, a lot of the same writing team, really great cast so far. I'd be shocked if it was, if it was really bad or anything, but regardless, um, there's a lot of popular properties over here that they're going to be opening a brand new theme park with. So it absolutely naturally puts pressure on Disney. And that, and my first thought when it all came out was, okay, how does this, how does this affect D23 and their plans on what they plan to announce? Because sure. Could they announce things on earnings calls or or randomly out of the blue on Instagram to surprise everybody? Yeah, of course they can, but they're going to save the meat and potatoes, as people like to say, for D23, and rightfully so. That's when you sh you should be you know you know dropping these major announcements. So 
let's play the hypothetical game, David. Uh, that's always a fun one um, in the sense where we can discuss a few ideas, few theories we have on what they actually realistically could be announcing, realistically could be talking about. Now, later, we can get a little crazier and talk about maybe some unrealistic things they could announce because that's always fun. But we'll save that towards the end of the episode. Uh, for starters, um, obviously, being that this D23 is held out in Anaheim um, and a lot of focus out in Disneyland, uh, I feel like we should start there on, on you know, what potentially they could be announcing and, and discussing with Disneyland. Obviously, there's been lots of conversation about expansion. Um, you've covered that uh, quite a bit um, in plenty of your articles in regards to, you know, how that's kind of... There's there's also some uh, some things loopholes you got to go through uh, to get through some of that stuff. Regardless, um, you know what are your thoughts on that and and sort of starting off on the on the Disneyland side of the coin before we talk about Disney Cruise Line, Walt Disney World, International Parks. Yeah, so I'm going to start with an oddly specific thing, and there's a reason for it, but. I think what we'll see is two flat rides like Astro Orbiter and Dumbo the Flying Elephant. I think we'll see two outdoor thrill rides along the lines of the Incredicoaster and maybe Tron Light Cycle Power Run. And I think we'll see three indoor thrill rides akin to Space Mountain, Star Wars Rise of Resistance, and Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. After that, we're probably talking about five outdoor family rides like Autopia, Goofy Sky School, Grizzly River Run, Jungle Cruise, and Mater's Junkyard Jamboree. And finally, we'll have four family rides indoors like Haunted Mansion, Indiana Jones Adventure, Pirates of the Caribbean, and Soarin'. And if you think, hey, that is weirdly specific, that's because I'm not really guessing. Uh, we're... We've been following a very odd story that isn't anywhere near as sexy as it sounds called Disneyland Ford. And Disneyland Ford sounds like this grand expansion plan that Disney has to improve at parks. And that's partially correct. But what it really is, is it's about, I'm not joking, municipal zoning laws in the city of Anaheim. Basically, Disney is currently negotiating with the Anaheim City Council and its park planner, or excuse me, its city planners. So that Disney can build out and redefine parts of Catella Avenue, Disneyland Drive, and Magic Way for future expansion. And so what they've had to do is they have released a, port, a report, and it is an environmental impact report, and that thing is so long. It took me, like, on and off three days to read it. I am not exaggerating. But <laughs> as I was taking notes going through that, that thing, it specifically said, here's what we want to do. Here's how we plan to do it, and here's what the environmental impact will be. And along those lines, we know Disney thinks it's going to add 16 different rides to Disneyland. Does that mean a third gate? Well, they've kind of played coy with that. It's probably more going to be an expansion of Disneyland Park and of Disney California Adventure, probably. That's not really set in stone. But we're talking about Disney committing. 2.5 billion, an absolute minimum of 2 billion to this expansion. And as part of it, they're basically saying, hey, as long as you do this, we will give you 16 attractions and here they are. So everything I just said, that's actually in city filed plans right now. Wow. Kind yeah, of blew so, your mind, didn't uh, it? <laughs> 
Kinda, yeah. Not gonna lie. Um, trying to gather my thoughts on where I want to take the conversation next because you know the thing is is that uh, we were talking about how do they respond, right? Like how do you respond to such a major competitor? Um, you know, that'd be not a good just response. Would something. It certainly would be, um, you know, and I think this is, it would be also smart of them to sort of hold in as, as difficult as it might get sometimes hold in that, um, that, uh, response until, um, until the time comes of August in D23. Now, and am I saying you can't, you know, release little tidbits here and there, you know, of course, but um, having a D23 out in Disneyland um, and announcing this many new things coming to Disneyland would be a major and massive response uh, to, you know, their, frankly, their biggest competitor in the market. So um, I think that's really fascinating. Now, just out of curiosity, and I guess more so for, um, you know, our listeners and viewers who wouldn't. Uh, maybe fully understand uh, what the benefit of this versus this is. Um, you know, what are the real major benefits, pros, cons to taking these potentially 16 attractions and, you know, splitting them up between the two already existing parks versus opening up a third gate? Um, because these are two very different ways to go about this obviously and i'm curious what your thoughts are on on you know i guess which route you think they'll take and and why that's a really good question and i don't think there's a finite answer here i feel like you can justify both sides of this um anybody who's ever been to disneyland resort knows uh the place is just overflowing with people at all points because it is a southern california institution and so because of that, some of the most popular places, the places that the locals know, sometimes suffer bottlenecks. And as a matter of fact, Disney is actually proving this fact right now because Haunted Mansion is currently closed. And one of the reasons they've got Haunted Mansion closed is they're working on the attraction queue. They're going to expand the Haunted Mansion campus so that they're going to give more people to hang out here, which is a place where they know fans want to be. Similarly, New Orleans Square last year, we saw them add some stuff there to lure more people into that area already and to divide them out rather than they were all crowding at Haunted Mansion. Disney's acutely aware of the fact that this park opened in 1955 and that, you know, New Orleans Square has been open since 1967. And you look at these places and you realize they need to grow because the population has exploded since then and everyone wants to be there. So building out more stuff in Disneyland Park in Disney California Adventure spreads people out and eliminates some of those choke points, at least for a time. You know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy then where eventually we'll reach the same conclusions again. But Disney is looking to kick that can down the road and solve it in the short term. Whereas if you build a third gate, you can sell and market a third gate, which is what Universal is doing right now, and that's where the money is. I mean, there were people who were convinced that Disney was just going to go ahead and call Star Wars Galaxy's Edge a new theme uh, theme park just because the Star Wars theme park would have sold. 
Disney didn't do that, and it was the correct decision because it would have been an absolutely minuscule theme park, and people would have been salty about that. <laughs> but yeah. it is kind of that yin and yang where you can still see the argument because what Star Wars fan wouldn't go to the Star Wars park? And that's kind of the choice they've had to face here. In this instance, when you look at the land, and I don't want to make this boring and bureaucratic, but to me, it makes more sense to call it a third gate. And yet Disney is specifically not doing that so often that I don't think that's their plan. Yeah. Um, do you think, just out of curiosity too, um, do you think that maybe the popularity, the conversation surrounding Epic Universe, do you think that could potentially influence them to go the route of a third third park? I mean, I mean, obviously, the, the interesting thing here is when I think of 16 attractions, I'm not going to lie to you, I think of a brand new theme park. I don't think of expansions. I don't think of that because I look at Animal Kingdom and, you know, I or, or Hollywood Studios, and I'm like, did they even have 16 attractions? They don't. You know, Animal so, Kingdom doesn't. No. <laughs> yeah. So this is what I mean. You know. So it, it's a these are pretty major major expansions. If they were to go that route, now is it possible? And is it is it you know also potentially highly successful uh, in the sense where one these bottlenecked areas of the park? Sure, of course. But also on top of that you increase capacity, which means you could sell more tickets. And either way, you're bringing in more revenue to the company. So it's not like if you don't go the route of the third park, you're not potentially still driving in a lot of new customers and people. I mean, do I do I have question marks about resorts and hotels and space like that? Sure, I do. Um, thankfully, Disneyland has a lot of really great good neighbor resort options and hotel options um so you know there there's ways to figure that out in los angeles and california believe it or not pretty populated area where a lot of locals will come in either way so um you know there's answers to some of these hypotheticals right but um i guess i'm curious uh and i think some of our listeners and viewers might be as well just like like how like being that we are talking heavily about the response right the response to something like epic universe like is it potentially possible that they go the route of the third part in response because i also don't think they would make that grand that big of a decision just because their competitor is doing this over here so it's kind of it's kind of tough to say I think that's an excellent point. I just went ahead and checked my notes, and you'll be amused to know that Epic Universe, based on the information I have right now, is going to have 14 true rides. So we're talking about 16 would be more than that. So you've not yeah. only matched, but you have surpassed your competitor. Now, the, the debate remains, and I don't think this is settled, but um, there is probably an argument to be made that Disney is a little bit arrogant about its position in the marketplace, and they view... Others is not real competition, for lack of terminology. So I don't know how much Disney would stress the fact that Epic Universe looks great on paper and is going to appeal to a lot of people. Um, I don't know if, like, let's call it Disneyland 3. I don't know if that would, you know, be the right counter because it's an entirely different coast anyway. So I don't know if that actually drives the process. Um, I do think it's interesting when you talk about $2.5 billion as an investment point, 
And uh, I want to emphasize that number's kind of bounced around some. It, it, some people suggest it was as low as 1.8 billion, um, but let's say it is 2.5. That is more than it cost Disney to build Radiator Springs Racers and Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So that's the type of expansion we're talking about here is both of those plus more. It's massive. It is absolutely massive. And Jared, I think you know, the flip side of it is not all of these will be e-ticket attractions. I mean, I mentioned flat rides like Astro Orbiter earlier. So that's the thing. Disney's not trying to win the press conference here as much as people may think. They're actually more concerned with being a good neighbor to Anaheim and making sure that what happened a few years ago with the Anaheim City Council doesn't repeat itself and that everybody is comfortable with the next 25 years of Disneyland Resort. And so I think that's ultimately going to be the driving factor, not any splashy headlines. I know that's not, no, you know, the most exciting answer, but I think that's the way they look at it. And I think that's actually a very smart, sound way to go about it. Because frankly, um, you know, something I've long been kind of screaming for and hoping for uh, with the Walt Disney World parks is the addition of more, you know, I like to call them crowd eaters. Uh, and dark rides and family rides, things of that nature. Hollywood Studios, for example, is a park that's basically just been like, you get a knee ticket and you get a knee ticket and you get a knee ticket. And I'm not saying that's like a, a bad strategy. Uh, however, oftentimes people go to Hollywood Studios. Uh, in fact, one of our reporters today said in our chat, uh, I overheard a family talking and they said, do you want the 80 minute attraction or the 120 minute attraction? And they were at Hollywood studios and look, that's, that's a real guest saying that today. So, uh, they're, they're not wrong. When you go to Hollywood studios, it kind of feels like which long line do you want to wait in? And, and look, I love Hollywood studios and I love a lot of these attractions, but these family attractions, these dark rides, the, the flat rides, the, these things are very important, not just for the sake of the families out there or the people who might not be able to do the thrill attractions or suffer from motion sickness or can't get into a roller coaster, any of these accessibility questions, forget that, forget that, put all that on the side. I'm strictly talking about from a crowd perspective and, you know, being able to handle crowds because Disney, let's face it, is as busy as ever. Um, that they're not really suffering from that department. Um, so it's it's how do you how do you manage those kinds of things? And I think that these are these are always good expectations. The issue is the issue, in my opinion, um, has long been, and this I think is is partly on the fans, David. And you tell me what you think of this. I think it's partly on the fans, but I also think it's partly on Disney with their marketing and their strategy in the sense of. Some things don't need to be hyped up that much, okay? Now, am I saying I don't personally enjoy Journey of Water, um, for example, inspired by Moana? No, I'm not saying that. I think it's very beautiful and it's a cool little walkthrough attraction. But the way it was marketed and hyped up and, and you know, the, the dialogue around it and the conversations on construction and when it's going to open and Tafiti and all these things, it kind of made it seem like we were like, are we expecting like a... Guardians or a Tron here, you know, and at that sets people up for a certain level of disappointment. And also, I think it's kind of on the fans too, where they're like, hey, Disney's not telling you this is going to be, you know, Guardians. They're not saying that. They're not saying it's going to be this. So maybe just like walk in and 
look at a, a real Tafiti and some pretty stuff and that's it. Like you don't have to expect, you know, insurmountable, you know, high expectations every single time. I, that is something that I do think is a, is an ongoing issue. So what happened to you there, and I've lived it several times, is you got too close to the story. The story was a part of your life for an extended period of time. <laughs> and then when it opened, you're like, I'm not sure like that was worth everything I put into it. Well, you can imagine how that feels for an Imagineer, because let's just say it. Journey of Water inspired by Moana is absolutely breathtaking. And it isn't just breathtaking. It's nice because it's a place where people can always go and they know they're going to get to experience it immediately. And your point here is absolutely valid because I was thinking while you were talking, uh, the best thing Universal has done is not anything we're going to see at Epic Universe. It's a problem solver. They added the, the Illumination Villain Con Minion Blast, and that's just basically a moving sidewalk. But that moving sidewalk, and you called the crowd eater, it can suck in everybody. And so suddenly that part of Universal Studios, you always know there's something you can ride. And you're talking about Hollywood Studios, and that is a really fascinating. Like we could have an entire discussion just based on that because that is the show's attractions park. And that wasn't enough for people. And that's why, you know, I have the fondest memories, 2015, 2016. The only ride you ever had to wait on was Toy Story Mania. That was it. And I mean, everything else was pretty much walked on all the time, it seemed like. And so that changed almost immediately overnight when Toy Story Land opened. And then right on its heels, we had Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And now it's the park that has seven rides where you're probably going to wait an hour if you want to experience all of them. And... There's still all of those show-based attractions at the park, but somehow they got drowned out. And that's why, after years of saying, I don't think the uh, the Little Mermaid show is going to make it, suddenly management is going, you know, let's bring back the Little Mermaid show this year because <laughs> they've got to find another place to store people where they will just grudgingly say, yeah, that works the compromise. We're seeing absolutely the same thing right now at Magic Kingdom with Country Bear Jamboree, which wasn't solving its problem. It wasn't serving its purpose of attracting people in to watch the audio animatronic bears. These things all have a very intricate method to them. And so when we're talking about these attractions, I mean, Disney isn't going to build 16 e-ticket attractions at that price. They couldn't. We have to calibrate our expectations for that. But people just don't do that. They hear 16 rides and now everything is strong. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Not going to lie. In fact, if we get quoted from this podcast, David, that's what they're going to say. Disney building 16 huge, amazing rides. That's what's going to happen. That'll be that'll be in, in the trades and, and in articles. Uh, uh, but either way, uh, we got a lot to talk about still, and we're going to switch gears here in a second. But before we do, I do want to mention, as I always like to, towards the middle of every every single Mickey Blog podcast, that this episode of the Mickey Blog podcast is sponsored and brought to you by Mickey Travels. Mickey Travels is a nationally recognized leader in Disney vacation planning. They are diamond earmarked by Disney, and their services are always 100% free. Reach out to Mickey Travels today for a free quote on your Disney vacation at MickeyTravels.com. That's MickeyTravels.com, making magic one vacation at a time. 
Um, and obviously, Makey Travels, as relevant as always to this kind of conversation, because we're talking about the theme parks. And if you ever need help booking that trip to those parks, to these destinations like Disneyland or Walt Disney World, you're going to want to reach out to our friends over at Makey Travels who can not just book it all, but they can plan it all. And it's at zero additional cost to you. It's completely free to you to utilize a Makey Travels agent. It's really a no brainer. Um, and I've frankly just never heard anybody. Uh, you know, have a bad experience with it. And I understand you might say, oh, Jared, you're, you're, you're biased. Uh, but I am telling you, uh, I have a lot of family and friends who have personally utilized it. So I'm not lying to you about that. Um, but let's shift gears here and talk about D23 again, because what lots of people fail to remember with D23 is, uh, believe it or not, it's not just theme park based. Okay. So there's that. Uh, and, um, you know, it's about playing that game that David was just sort of referencing and, and discussing a little bit about. One, don't have sky-high insane expectations that you will get disappointed by. That's number one. But two, you know, I also kind of kind of see the opposite side of the coin in the sense where, especially now, especially with the announcements of Epic Universe and especially with all this pressure and the return of Bob Iger and, and you know, franchises like Marvel, uh, you know, like the hat I'm wearing or Star Wars, like the poster behind me, like these, these franchises maybe not being as successful as they once were or original animated films maybe not being as successful as they once were or Disney losing the box office year battle for the first time since 2016. All these things, they sort of mount up and over time people are like, hey, how are you responding? Like, what's what's the game plan here? Uh, we talked heavily about Disneyland already, um, but I want to mention some of the other stuff because one, you got Walt Disney World, obviously. It's sitting right here, uh, you know. And um, on top of that, you also have the International Parks, which they've actually done a lot of announcements for and a lot with these last few years, including the recent um, openings of Arendelle, which I've heard nothing but amazing things uh, from. Uh, and then on top of that, obviously, Disney Cruise Line, a big year for Disney Cruise Line with Lighthouse Point, the new destination um, opening this year, the Disney Treasure sailing for its maiden voyage in December. I mean, we have a lot going on here beyond just the, uh, you know, the realities of Disneyland and that potential expansion. So, um, so yeah, I wanted to ask you about, you know, that sort of stuff and, and where you stand on what they could potentially be talking about with the rest of this. Uh, obviously, a lot of focus on Disneyland, but wanted to mention the, the rest as well. So what we're kind of waiting and seeing right now, um, really don't want to bring uh, international politics into this, but Bob Iger was basically the driving force behind the fact that we have Disneyland in uh, Shanghai. And in recent comments, he kind of hinted at the fact that that's become a problem. And that's because Disney doesn't own all of that. And there are things happening behind the scenes. And so with Hong Kong Disneyland and Shanghai Disneyland, we're in a weird spot where I feel like Disney is going to lay low on expansion there in the short term. But they've already accomplished what they have to do because with World of Frozen and with the Zootopia theme land, Disney has already done the most important thing. And this is kind of a dry answer, 
but it's true. If you do one job, Jared, you want two or three paychecks, right? You know, that's the dream. Everybody wants that. When Disney designs one ride, it wants to split costs with other people and then be able to use that ride several different places. And so the Zootopia project has already paid dividends in that the Shanghai government has financed part of the research and development and part of the construction of that. Now Disney is free to use those plans wherever it wants to. And so they've just shouted from the rafters, Disney's Animal Kingdom is going to get that. And that's the type of thing that isn't the most exciting thought process. But when you see these new rides coming out internationally, that's why we cover them so much at Mickey Blog is because we know there's a real chance they will eventually make their way over to the United States. It's not necessarily going to happen fast. How long did Tron take? How long did Remy's Ratatouille Adventure take? But it does happen. So that's why when we know that Fantasy Springs is opening at Tokyo Disneyland soon, we start paying careful attention to those plans because we know when D23 arrives in August, Disney might say, hey, and by the way, we're getting that Tangled attraction. We're getting that Peter Pan attraction. Maybe even we're getting that impeccable Beauty and the Beast be our guest attraction. Have you yeah. seen that one, by the way? Oh, yeah. No, uh, the all the footage and everything is incredible. Um, right. I have a wife. I have a wife who's uh, a very big fan of Frozen um, and frankly has been dropping all these random hints uh, to, you know, bring her to uh, Hong Kong and, you know, Paris and all these things to go see this uh, incredible Arendelle land. And you know, look like. That's the that is something that I do think Disney fans can realistically expect in the future is these lands, these, you know, people sometimes Disney fans, especially negative ones, are like, oh, well, we don't want a carbon copy. It's like, okay, well, first of all, you might not want one, but I, I guarantee you millions of frozen fans around the world want an easier accessible Arendelle and World of Frozen. I mean, it's a no-brainer to me to bring that to the domestic theme parks. I mean, Frozen, the, how many of Disney films have made a billion dollars and how many can say that both of them have made a billion dollars? Um, you know, this is one of their most successful and highly profitable uh, franchises that they own. There's a reason why they're trying to do three and potentially even four. So, you know, it's it's something that I think you you brought up a really good point. And I'm actually curious to see if at this year's D23, we do get, um, you know, an announcement of that, uh, you know, in that same vein of, hey, don't worry, Frozen fans, that will be coming to the domestic parks. If you just say something like that, it'll still get fans excited. You don't even have to say when, where, which park, all the details. Will it be exactly the same? Will there be expansions? You don't even have to do that. If you just mention something like that, I promise you, first of all, we'll probably write a thousand articles on it. And and two, it'll get people excited. It's just uh, it's just how it's going to go. So you 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 brought up a lot of good points with the international parks um now turning the page here Hold on, david before we move on can i just say the other thing i want to point out that's important here if you haven't yet take the moment to watch the new version of frozen ever after 
And the reason why I'm saying that is Disney has just made just a couple of changes and they're mostly to the tech. But what you'll notice when you watch the new version of that ride is how much cleaner it looks. And this is one of the things, Jared, that we're blessed to get. We get to see rides when they're brand new and people don't realize what a blessing that is because, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean has been around since the 60s. Haunted Mansion has been around since the 60s. These e-ticket attractions that have existed for so long, nobody saw them when they were new. But right now, there are people in China who are seeing a brand new version of Frozen Ever After, and it's the perfect version. The one that Disney has perfected over time, and so it's better than the one in the United States, and that corollary applies here where when these attractions get built there and then they take a few years, we get generally the better ones here in the United States. There was an issue with Tron because they didn't actually think about the sizes of people in various countries, but that's like the only glitch I can think of. Remy's Ratatouille Adventure here is substantially better than Disneyland Paris. And that's something, if I'm Disney at D23, I am trumpeting the fact that and by the way, this one's going to be even better. Yeah, no, I mean, look, uh, if people want comparisons to other industries, other fields, uh, year 18 Tom Brady was a lot better than year one Tom Brady, uh, you know, and uh, that same rule applies to, you know, things like this with attractions and, you know, the first iteration of Jollywood Nights was definitely not as good as the second iteration of Jollywood Nights. Disney is not one to just be like well that's it that's the last version you're getting of that no they're constantly innovating constantly trying to expand and constantly trying to improve their product uh as they should that's that's what the market demands so you know i think that if we were to get announcements of some of these internationally based uh parks lands anything of that uh you know sort of bring coming over uh to the domestic side of things i think Fans should be nothing but excited about that, uh, personally, um, especially um, these two new ones in Zootopia and uh, World of Frozen, because I've read, I've heard, I've watched nothing but amazing things about these places and and what they've done here. And frankly, not only could they be, uh, you know, the the crowd eaters, as they say, but they also are great for families and kids, and and that's that's really ultimately what's important um, with a lot of these family oriented vacations and planning these family vacations. You know, you can't have fifteen e ticket roller coasters if you want to market to the family and the average family with a five year old and an eight year old and a twelve year old. They're going to need things to do too, and um, you know that's why these other types of attractions that we were referencing earlier during the Disneyland portion of the episode. And that's why lands like Arendelle world of frozen and, and, you know, Zootopia like these could be extremely important um, into driving in new families and crowds, which by the way, um, speaking of these kinds of properties, once again, just recently, David uh, Moana was listed as the most streamed film like ever recorded anywhere. Um, once again, uh, so, uh, 
that was a big win for Disney Plus, but that does kind of ramp up the topic of conversation and and the idea of what they eventually do um, with Moana and some of the uh, domestic parks, things of that nature. Obviously, we have Journey of Water, and that's great, but I do feel like there's potential, and it's almost like they're ignoring this the longer it goes on, of just like, should we do something with this film that continues to be the number one rated most highly straightened film on our platform uh and speaking of that let's shift gears quickly to animal kingdom um they could potentially announce something this year at d23 the last few d23s though as i mentioned earlier have kind of felt like we're all a part of the biggest focus group in the history of mankind where they're like what if we did this and then await crowd reaction and then they're like okay someone backstage take some notes and then yes, we're going to do Indiana Jones, or yes, we're going to do Encanto, or we might do Encanto, but we also might do Moana, and here's some concept art of what we might do. So it, that I'm side... my teeth when you say that. It's like, stop it, Disney. Bad Disney. Quit it, Disney. It is I that know. frustrating. It is not meant to be a focus group, but you're absolutely right. That is what we're expecting to be different about 2024 is now Universal has basically got them penned. You got to do something now, right? Right, Jared? Please tell me. Yeah, you can't. Look, you can't just you can't keep doing these focus groups when your competitor is not doing focus groups. They're not announcing things. They're telling you what's coming and it's coming soon and it's impressive and it's incredible and it's revolutionary. Like these are, there's aerial footage of these attractions being tested. I mean, it couldn't be more concrete that this over here is happening and it's not hypothetical. So, you, you know, there comes a time where the hypotheticals need to stop. And I do think this year, this, um, you know, convention is really when that happens. Um, I can understand, to be honest with you, too, why maybe there was more of a reliance on that type of uh you know, thing, you know, what people do need to give Disney credit for. I was actually talking about this with, uh, you know, a colleague of mine in the industry the other day, uh, who works for one of our competitors. Um, and we were both on the exact same page about this. Uh, we were both talking about how, um, oftentimes Disney fans tend to forget and have very short term memory about some of the recent stuff that has happened. So, Take a look at what has opened in Walt Disney World and Disneyland and, you know, Disney Cruise Line and all these things in the last five years alone. Okay, take a look at that for a second. And I'm actually not going to give you the satisfaction of listing all this out because I want you to go on the Internet right now and do it. Just search what's opened at Disney in the last five years, promise you, you're going to see all of these really cool attractions and land expansions and restaurants and things that are highly reviewed and people love. And, you know, that that's very recent stuff in the realm of theme parks. And I do think that oftentimes Disney gets a lot of heat for, hey, where when's the next thing? As if this thing didn't just happen. Um, would you agree with that, David? And, and uh, what are your thoughts on that? We touched on this in the last podcast, and you're right. And as a matter of fact, in reviewing uh, the last podcast, I noticed we didn't even mention Avengers Campus. And that's kind of how we're so spoiled 
we're so comically <laughs> spoiled and people don't think about that because it's you know it's like the content monster people want more more all the disney and that's why we're kind of looking at this right now and we're frustrated because more things haven't been announced and there is a reason for that there's a lead time i mean we're talking about epic universe as if it's a thing epic universe is the summer of 2025 it is not like it's opening next month it's opening yeah. soonish but not for a while disney is going to you know debut Tiana's uh, the Tiana attraction, and then it's going to go. Uh, what is it? Uh, June or July? We get Fort Wilderness. July first, I think. I'm not looking at my notes. The cabin's there. We get the uh, the Polynesian Expansion Tower. We just had Pixar Place. What ten days ago? Less than ten days ago. Um, this is an ongoing thing where if you look at everything that happened at Disneyland, just Disneyland Park last year it's kind of mind-blowing and yet because there is a certain presumption that disney isn't doing enough that they're kind of always working from an adversarial position on all of this and that's why they really do need this win at d23 for any number of reasons but it's not as simple as people think because until recently Disney didn't have the greatest relationship with the Anaheim local government. And then there's the Florida thing, which just went to plaid in a calendar year. And so it is hard doing all of these plans for finite stuff coming to the parks. I mean, you're talking about, let's just use a bottom line figure here. Let's say 10 billion in expansion at Walt Disney world. That sounds absolutely amazing. You can build the best theme park ever made for $10 billion. It's as simple as that. But can you trust Florida officials not to meddle, not to, you know, gin up something with the monorails and all this other stuff? And right now the answer is I don't know. Um, it is a very challenging predicament for Disney. It is not as cut and dried as, hey, we're going to do everything at Fantasy Springs here. But I also, I, from what my understanding is, Disney has every intention of bringing Zootopia to Animal Kingdom. And also, what they're calling the Tropical Americas needs to happen at Dino Land USA because, Jared, you're there all the time. The place is a dead zone, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, and it's kind of sad in a way, um, mostly because... You know, I understand the love uh, for the 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 storyline and the background of the area. And, you know, Dinosaur has always been a fan favorite ride with uh, a lot of people out there. And, you know, I'm not I, I've never been like team like tear it all down. Like, I'm not saying that. I just think it's it's naturally time and certain lands do reach their their end point. Sometimes I'm not saying it happens with every land or every park. Uh, but this happens and, you know, eventually things need updating and it's just natural. It's 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 what happens. Um, there are other circumstances where it never happens. Places that are timeless, like Fantasyland, they'll be timeless. You know, Tomorrowland could be timeless, but that doesn't mean that these places Amen. don't get updated. You know, um, Liberty Square will probably always be timeless because it is from a very specific part of history. Can't really update it to it. Let's go to the new American Revolution time period. Like, no, it's just one time period. So, I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna do that. But I I think we do. Then reach we a have point Frontierland, 
I'm sorry, I was going to say, but then we have Frontierland and it gets like much muddier, doesn't it? Because on the one hand, there's the Magic Kingdom purist who doesn't want anything to change. But then there's the realist who knows that it is the Dinoland USA of Magic Kingdom. And Jared, that's why when we have these conversations, there aren't finite answers here because no matter what happens, somebody's going to get upset. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. I mean, I, I I have no idea how many people that I could have potentially upset with my words on this on this episode or previous podcast episodes. And and I personally welcome that kind of stuff. Not, I'm not trying to upset anybody. I'm not trying to you know, have different opinions from everybody. Um, we're not that kind of blog, to be honest with you. We try overwhelmingly to be a very positive oriented blog that is here to, you know, give you the Disney news and, and be a positive place too. Um, uh, but uh, having said that, I welcome the idea that everybody does have different opinions. Not everybody's a Star Wars fan. Not everybody's a Fantasyland fan. Not everybody is a Marvel fan. I mean, that's okay. That's the that's the beauty of media is there's so many different kinds of it for all of us to consume. And, you know, um, so I think that's a great thing that everybody has different opinions here. And we could speculate endlessly about D23 announcements that are coming. We really don't know for sure until it all happens and how it's going to happen until it all does happen. Um, there's certain things that we can kind of put puzzle pieces together, like David was talking about with Disneyland earlier. But does that mean we know exactly what those things are going to be and when they come and where they go? No, not exactly. Um, so we will find these things out. But let's for let's have a little bit of fun in the last eight or so minutes of the episode, David, and talk about some sort of outlandish hypotheticals or ideas that you think Disney should pursue, could pursue um, with the D23 announcements. And we haven't even really you know, um, taking a dive into films, obviously Marvel and Star Wars and some of these major franchises will have announcements. They will announce things at D23. It's no secret. Um, they do that every year. We'll get big movie announcements, show announcements, things of that nature. We've had a lot of big movies and shows get announced in the past at D23. So um, that will happen. But um, either way, uh, when it comes to the parks, uh, I guess really anything, I'll, I'll leave this pretty open-ended. Uh, what do you expect could be something that maybe people aren't expecting, maybe people, uh, you know, could kind of take people by surprise, um, that, that could be coming from an announcement perspective, uh, at this year's event. You mentioned Moana earlier, and there was a statistic about Moana, and sometimes I feel like I'm the dude in the tinfoil hat on this stuff because I know the data, and if you don't know the data, what I'm saying sounds insane, but then if you hear that Nielsen has tracked 775 million viewings of Moana on Disney+, Plus, 775 million times that film has been watched, now you're thinking, wait, why isn't there more Moana at the parks? And yeah. then we talk merchandise. Jared, let's talk about a neighbor of Moana, at least a theoretical neighbor. Stitch merchandise sells pretty well, doesn't it? Mm. Very, very, very well. Stitch merchandise is the reason I'm not a wealthy man, because my wife cannot say no to it. Um, which, by the way, I find charming. Um <laughs> Why not a South Seas land? Why not a Moana and Lilo and Stitch land? 
I mean, these are the type of, if, if you're just being, what are things Disney could do? I mean, there's, there's the subtle things Disney could do to improve the park experience. Like they can and should exp expand the gondolas. We need the Disney Skyliner to do what was originally projected, but hasn't necessarily happened. And that's connect it to Disney's Animal Kingdom, uh, do some other stuff, connect it to Disney Springs, and just do the things that add utility. But those aren't the fun things. The fun things are like, you know, I wrote an article about this, about which Disney films deserve dark rides. And I was mentioning like Up. Jared, if you just shut your eyes and you think about the story of Up, you can do an amazing dark ride right there, can't you? Yeah. Um, so I have a very, you know, personal attachment to the film Up because I utilized it as the theming of my engagement. So when I proposed to my now wife, uh, I proposed to that song, Married Life, uh, the famous, you know, uh, Michael Giacchino um, soundtrack song from the film Up. I utilized balloons and the whole nine yards. So I love that movie. I think it's one of Pixar's finest achievements. Um, and I think that Disney could absolutely do something with, with Up. I mean, there's so many properties here that I feel like have gone underutilized and haven't been utilized or done really with at all. Um, and I think for me, um, I do agree with you though about Moana because Moana, again, I mean, I don't know how many times like Disney needs a stat that says, Hey, uh, people watch this movie a lot. I mean, a lot, like maybe do something more than just a walkthrough attraction at Epcot to cool off a little bit, like something here. Um, so that's why when I first heard the idea of the 2022 uh, Animal Kingdom announcements of at D23, when they were discussing the concepts of let's do um, maybe a Moana and Encanto section, maybe this, or maybe Moana and Zootopia, you know, why did Moana go away when they kept talking about ideas? Now it's like Encanto and Indiana Jones. And I love Indiana Jones. There's a poster behind me of Indiana. I love Indiana Jones, but do I think it's as smart of a decision to build a Indiana Jones land as it is a Moana land? No, I mean, come on. I'm not, I'm not. After I'm what not. happened last year, that would be impossible to argue, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah. you and I are the Indiana Jones people at the site, and we both know that while, you know, I don't actually know how you feel about it. I thought Doll of Destiny was a perfect capper to the story, but it was not well regarded by most people. And so if you're saying we're going to kill Dinosaur and we're going to replace it with the Indiana Jones adventure, a lot of people are going to say, what year is this? You're 20 years late. And that is... Absolutely fair. If you were going to do an Indiana Jones adventure clone, it seems like it should have happened a decade ago at an absolute minimum. And yeah. that's why, you know, Jared, you're touching on it right now. And this is the absolute trick Disney faces is identifying which stories stand the test of time and justify a dark ride because or any type of ride. Because let's be honest, Ryan the Last Dragon, I am an evangelist for that film. And I think it would be an absolutely beautiful dark ride. Is it justified by the current pop culture awareness? I don't know about that. Emperor's New Groove, your shirt right now. That's kind of a more interesting metric about it. And it is a challenging answer to provide because everyone's going to feel strongly one way or the other. And it's not even like easily settled, like, 
should there be something with the Mandalorian right now, Jared? Yes. I mean, there should be... <laughs> Look, I, I could do an hour-long episode on Galaxy's Edge and Star Wars and how Disney could handle all the theme parks with Star Wars better. But regardless, yes, there should be something with Mandalorian. There should be several things with Mandalorian everywhere uh, in their Star Wars properties because it's their most successful thing they've done since acquiring Lucasfilm. And I'm not being dramatic about that. It's not just a number standpoint. The Mandalorian was more streamed than any Marvel show. It was uh, more successful than any Marvel show. And beyond that, it's developed, without a doubt, its most profitable merchandise item, and that's anything related to Grogu. So, yes, it should. they should be doing more with these things. And I do think this is the year, my hot take, not really a hot take, uh, I do think we're going to get announcements from one of these three big franchises coming more to the domestic theme parks, and that's Star Wars, Marvel, and uh, Avatar. Now, Avatar, we already know, is coming to Disneyland in some capacity, right? But we don't know exactly what that Avatar experience is going to be. We don't know the details of all that, where, how, you know, when, any of that. But in my opinion, we are coming up on a time where they will be announcing things of that nature because this is just too big of a franchise, too successful of a franchise with by the way, three more films on the way. They are already done filming the third one. They're just doing post-production uh, work on it. It's coming out December of 2025. That's not as far away as people realize or think about. It'll be here soon, and it'll probably make another $2 billion because that's what those movies do. Um, Disney's not... <laughs> they're not going to sit there and watch the most successful film franchise from a financial perspective go to waste long term uh and so i mean you say uh, that but where is my lion king ride you know i you know this is a good way to end the podcast actually because <laughs> the lion king i have been standing here screaming from the rooftops for years now about animal kingdom specifically why have we not done more with the lion king i mean not yes. just but like especially at animal kingdom i mean we have Probably the most popular, most famous Disney film, uh, you know, out there. It's towards the top. I'm not going to say it's number one because it's too hard to quantify, but it is towards the top, most famous, most iconic. You know, you have iconic, you know, people who did the music. You have iconic people who did the score like Hans Zimmer. You have Elton John involved. You have, you know, James Earl Jones involved. You have a film that is stood the test of time for decades following and and they don't have like a lion king land or a lion king ride or a lion king anything beyond a show and that that is shocking to me that will always be shocking to me and i think that's an easy thing what why are we <laughs> i was thinking about that when they were doing the animal kingdom expansion talks i was thinking i was sitting there the whole time i'm like it's did did the Lion King ever even like cross anybody's mind here? Like it's right there. I mean, this is called Animal Kingdom. The park is called Animal Kingdom and you have a literal property themed after, you know, animated animals right, right there. It couldn't be more. Here you go. Silver platter, easy thing to put in this park. And they haven't even <laughs> thought about it, I guess, or talked about it or anything. I'll always be shocked about that, David. I couldn't agree more. 
I mean, that's that's kind of the capper on this entire discussion, though, because even when we're talking about 16 potential rides at Disneyland, we don't have a Nightmare Before Christmas ride. We don't really have a Lilo and Stitch ride. Everything we're discussing here has achieved a level of pop culture awareness that would justify it. But Disney has to consider the opportunity cost. When you pick something, you're not picking everything else. And I do feel mm -hmm. like analysis paralysis comes into play for Imagineers, just like everyone else of, well, if we do this, we can't do that or that. And it's just such a painful decision to make. And for whatever reason, that means thus far, we really don't have a Beauty and the Beast ride and we don't have a Lion King ride after all this time, even though they're the big two. And that's why I specifically mentioned that Tokyo Disney Beauty and the Beast ride. We need that in the United States. And that needs to be a 2023 announcement or excuse me, a D23 announcement. It's, it's something that you could quite easily uh, move a few things around in the Magic Kingdom, for example, and put that one there. And it would endlessly be popular forever, just like Peter Pan is still to this day, 80 minutes every single day at minimum. There, there's things Perfect like example. that that you can do, you know? So, so look, I mean, we talked about a lot in today's episode. We touched about uh, Disneyland. We touched about the international parks, what potentially could be announced with Walt Disney World. Obviously, a lot of the eyes will be on Animal Kingdom. Um, we also talked briefly about franchises, movies, everything of that nature. Um, and uh, we really hope that our viewers and listeners got something out of this episode. Um, you know, obviously, David and I could ramble all day about all this stuff. We don't actually know what's going to happen until it happens. And this episode is airing in February when D23 doesn't happen until August. So there's a lot of time left for things to happen and, and things to, you know, evolve and change. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see what, well, you know, where we go from here. But please do be sure to continue to follow along with us here at Mickey Blog because we're going to be keeping you updated on all things Disney. Um, not just uh, every day, but every hour uh, as we get closer and closer to D23 2024. Um, so continue to follow along with us here at Mickey Blog. Head to MickeyBlog.com for all the latest and greatest in all things Disney. But you can also follow Mickey Blog across social media, um, whether it's Instagram or TikTok or Twitter, or Facebook, any of that fun jazz. You can watch all of our podcast episodes on YouTube um, and uh, feel free. Yeah, see, you can come see David and I's faces, uh, you know, and if you're just used to listening to us, maybe maybe you don't want to see Jared's face. I understand, but maybe you do. Who knows? Either way, we are available on YouTube. Um, and regardless, every episode of the Mickey Bob podcast airs every single Friday on whatever audio platform you get your podcast. So whether that's Apple, Spotify or anything else. Feel free to subscribe and continue to listen. We always appreciate your guys' support. It's why we do what we do, and we can't wait for another edition of the Mickey Blog Podcast. We will see you guys next week for that next episode. Have a magical day.